0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I am JP Hornstra with the Southern California News Group. More than $1 billion have been spent on free agents this offseason. How much of that did you get? Yeah, me too. The Dodgers are giving the big bucks to Clayton Kershaw and Shelby Miller and Jason Hayward. And that's about it so far. What exactly are the Dodgers doing? That will be the topic of today's podcast. We've got a conversation with Sean Green coming up. Stay tuned for that. But first, I wanted to dive into some nitty gritty stuff that will make you sound smart at your next holiday gathering when this comes up. So I'll give you the short answer. First, The Dodgers are likely trying to reset their payroll under the luxury tax threshold. But what does resetting under the luxury tax threshold mean? Let's dive in. The first thing to know is that there are four different luxury tax thresholds. In 2023, the first threshold is set at $233 million, which is up from $230 million a year ago. Now, the Dodgers were one of six teams who paid a tax on their 2022 payroll by exceeding that first threshold. And according to the last estimate by the Associated Press, they were actually a couple hundred thousand dollars below the fourth threshold, which was set at 290 million. If the Dodgers finished in that third threshold, between 270 and 290 million, they were taxed on 75 percent on every dollar spent above the threshold. Now, if you're a multiple time taxpayer like the Dodgers, your tax rate goes up every year, It goes up in the second year in which you exceed each threshold. And it goes up again in the third year. So that 75% tax that the Dodgers owed in 2022 would be 90% in 2023. If they stay in that third threshold, here's the catch. The multiple-time tax penalty only applies to teams who go over that threshold in consecutive years. So if the Dodgers get below that $233 million threshold, they are no longer considered a multiple-time offender in 2024. And by the way, that first threshold goes up again in a year. So you're only taxed if you exceed $237 million you're only taxed on every dollar you spend above 237 million in 2024. So, to recap, if you're Mark Walter, Dodgers chairman, you can spend more without getting taxed and you can get taxed less on the dollars that you spend above each tax threshold if you get that payroll under 233 million this year. I know the numbers can get pretty thick. If all of that is confusing, hit the rewind button, listen to it again. Probably a lot of you are saying, forget it, I don't care. I just want the Dodgers to sign a shortstop and a center fielder and a starting pitcher. And that is fair. I'm explaining all of this to highlight the fact that in all my years covering the team, which covers the entire Guggenheim ownership, I have never once heard Andrew Friedman say on the record, we are going under the luxury tax this year. He's never said that on the record. Even if that's what the Dodgers do, Andrew Friedman is not going to telegraph it in December. Is it actually a competitive disadvantage? If he does, I don't know. What I do know is that if Andrew Friedman believes there is any daylight between the cards he is holding at his chest, he will hold them closer. So, Let's read between the lines. The Dodgers' competitive balance tax number is currently $140 million, according to SpotTrack. So to reach that first threshold, they've got another $93 million to go. Unless Trevor Bauer's cap number, which is $34 million, comes into play. Let's say he fights his suspension and he wins. The suspension is lifted. In theory, that leaves the Dodgers another $59 million to play with before they hit that first luxury tax threshold. Okay, that's a lot of money. However, Spot Track does not include the as-yet-undecided salary figures for arbitration-eligible players like Julio Arias, like Walker Buehler and Will Smith and Tony Consulant, Dustin May, Bruce dark Graderall, Yancey Almonte, Trace Thompson, Caleb Ferguson. Add up their salaries and you're estimated to pay out another 36 or 37 million combined. Take that into consideration. Now the Dodgers have 56 or 57 million estimated before they hit that first thre- threshold if they don't pay Trevor Bauer. They have 22 or 23 million to play with if they do. And by the way, you got to throw in all the players. Who haven't even reached arbitration eligibility, which is guys like Gavin Lux and Phil Bickford and Evan Phillips, Alex Vesia, Miguel Vargas, and any other rookies who make the opening day roster. Their salaries won't eat up all of that twenty-two to twenty-three million, but you might want to budget in another, say, five to ten million. So now you can see where the Dodgers' hesitation to spend might be coming from. I'm not advocating for that approach. I'm not advocating against that approach. I'm just trying to break it down using rough dollar estimates so you can understand the kind of behind-the-scenes accounting taking place right now. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes between MLB and Trevor Bauer. Nobody from within team ranks is saying boo. But I will mention him in service of one other point that I think is relevant here. When the Dodgers signed Trevor Bauer, it was right after the COVID year. No one thought teams were going to expand payroll. Many slashed payroll for obvious reasons. There were no paying customers in 2020. The Dodgers expanded their payroll by a lot. And when I asked around about this, it was suggested to me that Mark Walter, Dodgers chairman, wanted to zig as his rivals zagged. That can be a good business strategy, especially when you're trying to do something win back-to-back World Series that no team had done in 20 years. Well, guess what? Now the rivals are zagging. Does it make sense for Mark Walter to zig? Maybe, if you believe that the contracts being held and handed out to free agents like Sander Bogarts and Jacob deGrom and others don't justify the expenditure from a team point of view. Again, I'm not advocating for or against this approach, But this is the kind of thinking that might be taking place behind the scenes. One other thing to remember, more than 100 free agents are still on the board. Ross Stripling and Sean Minaya are giants. Andrew Heaney's a ranger, Tyler Anderson's an angel, but there are still more embodied pitchers to be had. There are shortstops, there are center fielders, lots of ways this offseason can go. It's not the sexy approach. Patience. But we've seen the Dodgers do it before. When they signed Freddie Freeman, it was in February. When they traded for Mookie Betts, it was in February. This is a team that does not make its big moves early. At least, not in recent history. Hopefully, you are no longer on the edge of your seat. Hopefully, I got you somewhere between like the middle and the back. Lean back against that chair. Stay tuned. Gonna bring on Sean.
1: And now it's time to welcome back Sean Green to the podcast. Sean, how are you doing? Doing well. How about you? Oh, can't complain. Busy week, uh, if you were reporting on, let alone following the winter meetings from afar, there has been more than a billion dollars spent through the end of the winter meetings as we are speaking here today. It's not even a month into the offseason. I guess it's just barely a month and, and more than a billion dollars spent on free agents. Of course, the Dodgers have mostly sat on the sidelines, but they did resign Clayton Kershaw. They signed Shelby Miller. This seems like it is a very good time to be a free agent. Sean, what are just your thoughts about the offseason so far and, and this whirlwind week of activity that we've seen?
2: Yeah, it's been a... It's been an interesting off season, this short off season so far, but it's been it's been uh, pretty exciting. I, I think I think coming out of the lockout last year, I think that um, it's probably playing now to the to the players' advantage because there's a deal in play, and the teams don't feel like they need to tiptoe or, you know, or don't have the opportunity to go out and sign the players that they wanted to last year, and, and now all of a sudden it's been like okay. It's, it's back to normalcy, and so it's, it's kind of a free-for-all, and I think, I, I think that's, that's great for players. It's great for baseball, and, you know, it's great for the teams that end up getting the players with things that they've coveted, you know, over the last couple of years. And there's a lot of big names this year, too. I think a lot of times that drives the prices up because you'll see, you know, guys like, like DeGrom and Berlester, you um, and, you know, there's, there's so many guys. But see those guys get big deals, then it creates kind of a downside effect where the ones who are just below them are getting bumped up and are getting you know, more money than they would have had those guys not in the agency. Of- Absolutely. I think
1: one of the guys, and we can talk about him, we can talk about some of the other Dodgers who left in free agency. But Cody Bellinger seems like a guy who I think two years ago, it would have been really easy for teams to look at the downside look at the recent production and say, okay, we're we're not going to give this guy, you know, more than $10 million, right? Um, He's a $17.5 million player for the Chicago Cubs in 2023. That's that's guaranteed. That's without meeting any incentive thresholds. And he's going to have a chance to be a free agent a year from now at age 28. And, Like you said, it's not just the upper-tier players, although we saw Trey Turner sign a massive contract with the Phillies. We saw Xander Bogart sign an 11-year deal with the Padres. But it's trickling down to where, uh, you know, to name two former Dodgers. Cody Bellinger, like I said, $17.5 million. Jock Peterson is going to get $20 million this year for the Giants. I don't know about you, Sean, but I'm having to, like, recalculate or recalibrate, rather, my idea of what, like, a $10 million player is, a $15 million player is, a $20 million player is. And this is all good for the players, of course. But, like, it's been a week, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I, and it's not the, – the numbers always go up. And so it's not like – I don't think – former players or fans or whoever it may be that you know aren't the ones cashing those checks should ever complain about what the numbers are. It's more about I think sometimes you know players might scratch their head as to why players are getting evaluated in a way that puts them in certain tiers, right? Like by performance, like okay, that doesn't make sense or that does make that make sense. So it's more about that for me than the Rutgers. Um, You know, looking at a guy like, like Belly, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. He's had he's had a rough stretch, and he's still a young guy. And, you know, he signed signed a great contract based on what he has done years ago and based on his age and his athleticism and what they hope he can get back to. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of, in my mind, almost like, I'd say it's probably a bit of a final chance to to, to really cash in. If he if he struggles this year, then I think it's going to be much harder to get even a, a one year deal at a similar place. But um, you know he's going to a place that could be hitter friendly. Uh, usually, obviously with the windmill, that's a much different park than with the windmill here. But you know he'll be on a a young team and be and with the veteran players there. So it's, it's kind of a change for him. And sometimes change is good. I think another thing that a lot of players throughout baseball are um, cashing in on is I think the way they analyze players now with so much of the analytics, you know, based on athleticism or um, you know spin rate or exit velocity and different things is giving players opportunities to go somewhere else where a team says, okay, this person, you know, velocity is X and it's the spin rate is wide so we need our there's almost like a little bit of an arrogance to the teams like because they all have their own approaches to how they're gonna make players better they have, feel like they have secret the secret sauce and they' a sure. hands-on someone who can change it and make it better so I think these you know physical metrics that didn't exist before are giving players more competition and more opportunity because other teams want to want to get their hands on those numbers and take them more
1: well I certainly hope that's the case I mean I did a piece oh uh, boy it must have been four or five years ago now where I spoke to a lawyer for the players association and he Said a lot of what you were saying about how these biometrics can work in the players' favor, but there were a lot of concerns among players that it could work against them. Um, and maybe Cody Bellinger is the epitome of a guy who it should work for, given his age, given his athleticism. This is a guy who the you know, all the physical markers would tell you should be an elite baseball player. Whereas if you are a pitcher in his mid-thirties, maybe you've had a Tommy John surgery or some other procedure, maybe sometimes those biometric things can work against you, which I think is why it's heartening to see. Yes, Andrew Heaney had a pretty good season when he was on the mound for the Dodgers. It would have been nice to see him come back, but for him to get a multi-year contract from the Texas Rangers, uh, I think for the player, uh, that has to be very encouraging.
2: Yeah, that's no, for sure. And it's kind of funny you bring that out, talking about players in their past their prime. When I was with the Mets my last Year I remember Spring Training joking around with some of the other guys. We had a lot of older players. We had Tom Glavine and Pedro uh, Martinez, myself. Yeah, you know, there's there's a number of players now. You know, Franco was that's and That team, you know, was was a really good team. So it's, I think that's something that's disappearing, and it's, it's too bad. But you know, you, you see guys like Verlander succeeding up to forty years old and I'm sure he'll continue beyond that he still you know, looks great out there and you know one man. You know, he also is still has the velocity and all that. So it's, it's the guy's like Kershaw's a good example. Kershaw isn't throwing as hard as he used to and he's not on the field as, as often as he used to be, but when he's out there and phenomenal still he's he's got that wisdom and knows how to pitch.
1: Well, speaking of getting younger, the Dodgers definitely did that this week, Um, in addition to Cody Bellinger and Andrew Heaney and Trey Turner, who we mentioned. uh, Chris Martin, veteran relief pitcher, signed with the Boston Red Sox. Tyler Anderson, previously signed in Anaheim, but that's two over 30 pitchers who will, uh, will not be with the Dodgers next season. Add it all up, that's a lot of change for one week. We're looking at a potentially very different Dodger team in 2023, a potentially younger Dodger team in 2023. And it's a lot to take in in one week. Of course, the Dodgers aren't done with this offseason. They can still re-sign Justin Turner, for example. If David Price wants to come back. Who knows? Maybe he'll uh, add to the average age of <laughs> the Dodger pitching staff single-handedly. But, uh uh, barring that, you know, this this could be a very different team in 2023. And I just, Sean, I wonder what your thoughts are on what this first month has meant for the changing direction of the Dodgers organization.
2: Yeah, it's a big change. But the thing about the Dodgers, they still have such a strong, deep core and such a great minor league system. You want to keep bringing in the youth. And, you know, with Miguel Vargas coming up, Bobby Miller, like there's there's other guys you know below um, that are are knocking on the door. I mean, like, I'm sure we'll even you know sniff a in at some point this year. Um, so you start bringing these guys up, and that's what that's what made during my era the the, the Yankees so dominant for long stretches. You know you for, you think about the Yankees back then having free agents, but they they you know homegrown guys. You know Mariano had it. Jeter, Posada, Cano, like those guys kept coming up. And if you have too ve- too much of a veteran team, G- you get know, out and you have to go through a, a major rebuild. But I think what the Dodgers is, is is actually smart. It's tough to you know to have a, a season like they had and, and a lot of change, but uh, they have enough of their core back that they can come out and and they also have the resources. You know, if there there's something lacking come July, June, July, they can go out and acquire that player, too, that they need to, to kind of get back over the hump, But I, I don't worry about that. I think they're just they're so well-run. They have so many resources, both as, you know, minor league players, major players, staff, and front office. But they're, they're going to be a
1: good One thing that I don't think is getting talked about enough, and it, maybe the reason that folks aren't talking about it because it's a relatively minor thing in a lot of organizations. But the Dodgers could have called up a lot of these guys a year ago. And part of me wonders if it didn't just because there was no minor league season in 2020. A lot of those kids came back in 2021 looking rusty, especially hitters, right? If you didn't really see live pitching outside of that uh, alternate site camp setting, it really set you back. And and we saw the Dodgers try to go a little bit younger at the beginning of the 2021 season. And guys like DJ Peters, Sheldon Noisy, Luke Raley, they just didn't pan out. To their credit, the Dodgers pivoted. Like you said, Sean, they went out and got Albert Pujols. Uh, they got some other guys at midseason, and they were able to make a run for it, making the NLCS ultimately. But... I think, in the back of my mind, I'm just wondering now, having had two full seasons under their belt, if a guy like Miguel Vargas, if a guy like Bobby Miller, if a guy like Ryan Peppio or Michael Grove isn't just that much more prepared, having had an extra year to develop, effectively, than he would have if the Dodgers had decided to bring him up, as if there was a full season in 2020 for them to work with.
2: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I think COVID had a, a pretty big impact um, on the minor league system. And you can even see it all the way down to, you know, high school, college, well, the kids with the time, they made it harder for them to get exposure to, to the draft. It just kind of just made it hard for everything. Um, and the other the other thing that I've so much have um, so much talent at the major league level that you don't want those guys to come up and sit. It makes sense where... Yeah, they've had a, enough at bats to to have a you know a solid. Uh, you know, say so they get 300 bats in the minor league say, Okay, let's call this player up and let him kind of soak up the big league, um, big league game, teammates, and all that stuff, and come off the bench. Like that's that's different. But you don't want a player to to, to sit there for you know four months and, and you know only get 100 at bats or whatever it is. Sure. But, um, Freeing up some of these spaces, you hate to see a player like Trey Turner go, um, but it, it just, it does, it, it frees up, you know, a spot for a young guy, and if the young guy's not playing like he could be playing, or like the team needs him to be playing, and they need to, you know, find something, someone else to come in and, and you know, plug a gap until that player's ready, and then they can't have to do that.
1: Sure. Well, speaking of teams going in the opposite direction, I looked up this morning and the fifth highest payroll in baseball, at least uh, on the luxury tax side, is the San Diego Padres. Who this week signed Xander Bogart to an 11 year contract? I don't think anybody saw that coming. And I couldn't help but think about a couple years ago, where the Padres signed Manny Machado, gave the big extension to Fernando Tatis Jr., and there was a lot of talk about how good that would be to have another team in the division pushing the Dodgers to spend to compete. And at the time, of course, you know the Padres hadn't won anything in the postseason, and the Dodgers were on this incredible run. Now now, flash forward a couple years, the Padres just eliminated the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, they're ramping up their payroll. The Dodgers seem to be resetting under the luxury tax threshold, and I wonder if all that talk about having some competition pushing them is a little less comfortable now. Sean, what do you think of what the Padres are doing?
2: Yeah, I mean, they're going they're going hard. You know, it's been a process for them. They've, they've, had, they've done a good job of... You know, raising or firing because and um, and they're they're throwing their, their other needs are free agents and and are putting together a great team. I mean, I, I think Xander Bogaerts is, is an awesome player. Offensive. I don't think I'm the Padres I spend the money on another guy in the lineup, especially if the coming back um, at some point or the season. I for me I I try to go out and get you know Degrom or Berlin with that money you know, you know more, good, but that sometimes teams just get caught up in in their good they built a good lineup adding Soto and knowing they're going to get the piece back and then they just kind of get enamored with having that type you know having the best lineup in baseball which is great but at the end of the day you know it's, it's going to come down to the pitching and um, you know i find the Dodgers like you know you look at the wow they're getting good but you're gonna have to you have to beat good teams to win the World Series, and the Dodgers are no longer focused on winning the division. People say that it's like you know, yeah, that's step one, but they want to win the World Series, and they feel like they need to win the World Series. So the more you can play and compete against you know a, a formidable foe in your division, I think it only helps you in the long run. Uh, it, you know, didn't work out last year, and um, the Dodgers' bats kind of went quiet at the wrong time, but. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's I think it's great for for Dodger fans to have you know two legitimate rivals in the division, and you know one of those those rivals might even be favored to win the division. So um, it'd be kind of a new definitely be a, a new um, role for the Dodgers to play as as uh, a team that's either you know a lot of people are picking to finish second at least as of today. I would imagine it's probably pretty mixed, and uh, you know it's. So we we'll just see how the Dodgers respond about
1: it. They've got two months to respond, and at least, uh, like you said, they're, they're really only responding to the Padres at this point because the Giants kind of came up empty-handed themselves. Uh, it looked like they were going to be signing Aaron Judge for two seconds there, and, and we could have been talking about the NLS being even more of a juggernaut uh, than they are as we sit here today. But I'm with you. I, I think it's just exciting, like – For so many years, we would see the Dodgers schedule, and and maybe there's an Arizona-Colorado road trip where both teams are struggling, and it just looked like these free spaces on the bingo card. You can kind of tune out if you're a fan, let alone if you're a player. I would rather have every series be a competitive one, personally, uh, knowing that the Dodgers, like you said, they're... Building to win more things, than division titles. There's going to be a good team, whether uh, the team on the other side of the field is spending or not. And I just think that it's going to be a much more entertaining season if you have that atmosphere that you saw every time the Dodgers went to San Diego in 2022.
2: Yeah, and baseball is different than other sports. I mean, yeah, the ultimate goal. Everyone gets so excited I mean, to win the World Series, right? That's the ultimate goal. But, I mean, it's a 162-game season, so um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a journey. It's, it's a, you know, it's about, you know, all the – it's kind of funny because when I was playing, there's a, there's a lot of, like, grandmas that were huge fans. They're, like, you know, places like, oh, I watch every – but it's, like, it's kind of like a soap opera with, like – the different stories unfold because it ha- it's happening every day, and uh, you know, if you get this rivalry with the Giants and there's a fight, and then you get, you know, the, the Padres and Dodgers hate each other now, and that's the it's just, it just adds so much to the entertainment value, and that's that's really what baseball is. It's it's unique in that it is every day, and the more interesting storyline, the more fun the people is, and it's, it's about having fun, the fan, the player, and you know whoever you are it's about enjoying the journey
1: you know come to think of it Sean I actually get a lot of emails from grandmothers to read my story like, yeah. no lie. Yeah. Um, and they they like email they they tend to like email the younger says they tend to hit me up on Twitter and Instagram but the grandmas like email that's my that's my response <laughs> that's to that funny
2: just, I don't even know if my mom would email me. I mean she probably pick up the phone and call you
1: well there's a reason my phone number isn't listed
2: <laughs>
1: that's right uh, Sean I'm going to let you go this has been a good talk there's been plenty to talk about this week and hopefully hopefully plenty more uh, from the Dodgers as the offseason goes along Um I hope to speak to you again, certainly before the holidays uh, get into full swing, but uh, if not, I appreciate your time. Have a great holidays, and thanks for joining me, as always, on the podcast. Yeah,
2: same to you, and uh, forward our next conversation.
0: All right, that will do it for this week. Thank you for rolling with the audio there. Sean was sitting in traffic as we spoke. If you have not done so already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Everyone helps. Until next time, be well.